The Book of Psalms Book 1 Psalm 1 Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Father God, thank you that you speak by your word. Thank you that as we open it this morning, we can be assured of your spirit's presence with us. Please help us to understand and to apply it, and to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you happy? Yes. <laughs> Some of us are quick to say yes, and that's wonderful. But if you're not happy, why not? Just sleepy. Just sleepy. <laughs> Fair enough. It was a late night last night for some of us, maybe. Or I'm hungry. Or hungry, even. <laughs> well, I shall try not to keep you for too long from your lunch. But according to this year's We Care Hong Kong survey, two-thirds of Hong Kongers show moderate to severe depressive symptoms. Two-thirds. Young people ages 12 to 18 years of age report themselves to be the unhappiest group of any. I guess that's due in part to online classes and pandemic measures. Almost a third of people aged 60 and above report feeling exceedingly lonely. Out of the family unit, mothers report the lowest levels of happiness on average as they dealt with the stress of supporting everyone else through the pandemic years and online schooling and maybe job losses and whatever else they've had to support the family through. But even before COVID, even before political protests, uh, years in the past, if you can remember it, Hong Kong was the seventh least happy place to live in the world. The people here, the least happy. Trailing behind war-torn countries like Iran and Iraq and Ukraine, according to Gallup International. Despite the relative wealth of our city, despite what seems like strong family bonds, uh, in, in many families, despite the malls everywhere full of life-enhancing technologies and products, we are largely, as a city, even if not as individuals, unhappy. And that's really the story of our age, isn't it? We have all kinds of wealth. We can buy all kinds of shiny toys for ourselves. We can go on sunnier holidays this year, maybe for the first time, but we are in 21st century developed world 
Happy? Well, no, not really. Not in most places. We can live longer due to amazing advances in medicine. And we have access to all the information in the world in our pockets. And we can contact anyone that we've ever met throughout the whole of our lives in just a a few moments. But are we happy? No, not really. Not on the whole. Young people's happiness across every single area of their lives has not been lower in recent memory. They're lonely, they're despairing, they're anxious. Despite all the advances of technology of our modern era, we are on the whole not happy yet. Because we cannot hope to change the whole of our country or the whole of the world, let's return to the more pertinent, more personal question, are you happy? I hope that you are. Are you fundamentally and consistently a happy person? And if not, why not? Well, whether you are or you aren't, this morning's reading from Psalm chapter 1 tells us how the blessed life is found. The the blessed man, the, the blessed one, That's how it starts in verse 1. Blessed is the man who. Blessed is the one who. At the beginning of the longest book in the Bible, the the book of hymns and songs um, about God and to God, we find here in the first psalm, which serves as a kind of introduction to the whole book of psalms, to, to the themes and to the messages of the book, it begins by describing a blessed human life. And more than that, the first word of the first psalm is ashri, blessed, which I think is better translated in other translations as truly happy. Because, you see, the psalmist is not here using the word that would be used for an objective sort of blessedness, like when a a father gives a blessing to his son, maybe an inheritance or something. It's not an objective sort of blessing. It's a subjective sort of blessing that this word, ashri, is about. The feeling of being blessed, or perhaps more simply, of being truly happy. Do you see the difference there between objective blessing and, and subjective blessing? Subjective is the way you feel. Objective is something you receive. This is about the way you feel or the, the, the experience of being happy. So at the outset of the songbook, the psalmist is trying to capture our attention by hanging a, a, a tr- sign out on a, on a tree limb and saying, happiness this way, come, everybody come this way for happiness. But notice how the psalm ends. The last line, the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. The last word of the psalm, Tobed, to be lost, to perish. The psalm ends with a warning. Danger! Don't go this way! Happiness this way? Danger, destruction this way? 
And so we'll see that the psalmist's fundamental claim is there are only fundamentally two ways to live in this world. There's the way that leads to blessing, to happiness, and there's the way that leads to perishing, to destruction. And this morning, as we approach the beginning of a new year, we've entered into it, we need to consider how we might make the next year happier than the last, for ourselves personally, for our families. And then we pray for the wider community as well, out of that. And I want to focus your attention on just a, a few key points of this psalm. The first is that the righteous will flourish. The righteous will flourish. Notice that happiness is just as much a result of what we do not do as what we do do. Blessed is the man, blessed is the one, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. With a a wonderful economy of phrase, the, the psalmist depicts for us a progressive hardening of the heart that happens when when people allow themselves to be drawn aside to be distracted by the world in which we live that lives in ignorance and in opposition to God first we're walking along then we sit sorry then we stand and then we finally sit what begins with walking along, listening to the counsel of wicked people, soon becomes an established sinful way of life and finally results in dwelling uh, with those who mock God's truth. It doesn't happen all at once. It's progressive. And this is the way that sin subtly draws us away from God, not all at once, slowly, stage by stage, with plenty of company all along the way. For example, no one suddenly falls headlong into adultery. It starts with a straying eye. It continues with a flirtatious manner. And finally, it results in the rejection of a God-given spouse. That's how it happens. From thinking wrongly to behaving sinfully to finally identifying with the unrepentant, saying, these are my people. This is our way of life. This is normal. But truly happy is the one, the the righteous person, who does not walk, stand, and sit in the company of the wicked. Rather, with a singleness of mind, he resists those who would draw him aside so that he can attend to what's most important in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The word law, Torah, it stands for the whole of the scriptures, the law and the prophets and the history and the poetry and the wisdom. It's a word that it stands for the whole. And the psalmist says that those who give their full attention to it, to the law of God, will be truly happy, a subjective experience of happiness. Rather than taking their cues from what their peers or their culture say is important, they delight in what the Lord has to say. And according to the psalmist, that delight, that desire to meditate on the scriptures day and night is a key mark of righteousness. When we hear the word meditation, we might 
naturally uh, think about sitting quietly in a room with our eyes closed, our minds emptied. But the Hebrew idea doesn't have much in common with the Buddhist idea of meditation. Rather, the word here uh, is in Hebrew, yege. It's the same word used for the coo of a pigeon. It's the same word used for the growl of a lion or of a person muttering under their breath. That's what the word meditation means in the Hebrew. Meditation, in a Hebrew sense, is a constant ruminating on, a chewing over the word of God. It's not an empty mind. It's a full mind, a full mouth, a full heart with the word of God. And it seems to me that there is no clearer sign of conversion than when a person begins to delight in the word of God. When they read the scriptures, they get excited about what the scriptures have to say. They seek out books about it to explain it. They look forward to maybe sermons or uh, to Bible studies. They ask other Christians for help to understand. And then that is when you know that the Holy Spirit's at work in somebody. It's not the only sign, but it is a key sign, I think. There is spiritual vitality in a person like that. For those who were converted years ago, I found it's one of the key signs of a a strong and maturing faith. They want to dig into the scriptures. And according to the psalmist, it is not only a sign of maturing faith, not only a sign of conversion, but it's a a, a key way to be truly happy. Which begs the question, are you delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night? And if we aren't doing that, could that be at the root of our unhappiness? The promise of this psalm is that the more deeply you drink from God's word, the more blessed you will feel. Think about that. How could that be otherwise? Because when you fill your heart and your mind with the stories of God's love for you, how could you not feel happier with that? Right? Right? With accounts of how he loved you so much he went to the cross for you to save you and perfect and glorify you, his people. How could that not have an effect on your happiness? The scriptures are constantly telling you, you have a God-given purpose. You are made for something bigger than yourself. God loves you. Christ has purchased your redemption. He's promised your exaltation at the end, your vindication. Meditating on that cannot help but make you happier. And yet, what do I reach for the first thing in the morning? This, right? This is what I go to. What do I watch last thing at night? Netflix series, YouTube, I don't know. The 
phone, the news, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram. I say this as much to myself as to all of you because my heart is often cold and I am often lacking discipline. And I'm neglecting the source of happiness, the the source of real spiritual life and vitality too often. And often it takes me thinking about the time I'm going to have to stand up here before you, uh, before I actually am afraid enough that I get into the word of God, right? I've put myself in positions where I have to study scripture, and and that's good for me, but it, it, it... might be that I would lack discipline if I didn't have this. But when I do attend to the scriptures, when I do give them my full attention to prepare for a sermon or in private devotion, inevitably I find delight. What delight? What, what refreshment comes from drinking it in and drinking deeply from it? Almost without fail, I will f- find something fresh and joy-giving and wonderful coming out of the scriptures. Something that makes my heart delight, that causes gratitude to well up in me. And so, if you, like me, struggle to attend to the law of the Lord with the, the sort of singleness of mind that the psalmist is talking about, and therefore you're not as happy as you could be if what he's saying is right and true, then I would ask you to consider adopting some of these strategies for the year ahead. First, make Sunday morning services an unwavering commitment for you and for your family. The, the one immovable feast in your calendar for the week is being in church. Whether that's here or when you're on holiday somewhere else, making it the priority. If the psalmist is right, then there is no sport, there is no party, there's no weekend trip, there's no sleeping in that will have as big an effect on your happiness over the long term as being where People are meditating on the scriptures. Christians coming together week by week to support one another, to teach one another. And, you know, there's not anything wrong with all those other things. We like sport. We, I like sleeping in. I don't know about you. I like all those things. But it's not going to make me happy. Not going to make me happy like being here like opening the scriptures with you, like talking it over together over tea and coffee. And if those things do get in the way of that, well, they are interfering with your happiness and they need to be changed. Like you would want to change anything that interfered with your happiness. Make Sunday mornings an unwavering commitment. Secondly, join a growth group. Join a growth group. Get together with other people to read God's word to us, to apply it to our lives, to pray through it with others. It helps us to understand God's purposes for us, but it also builds our relationship with one another. Help one another to hold our lives up to the light of God's truth. 
and to direct one another to God's grace. With God's word at the center, strangers become friends, and more than that, they become dear brothers and sisters. The people who commit themselves to growth groups, without exception, in my hearing anyway, find that over time they become one of the greatest channels of God's blessing in their lives. I'm not a hype person. I don't want to get you hyped about things. I want to tell you the truth. And that's what people tell me. This is a channel of God's blessing for your life. This is a channel of happiness in your life. It's worth one quiet night a week being sacrificed for that, isn't it? Sunday mornings, growth groups, use a resource to help you read the scriptures regularly for yourself. That's what these yellow papers on the way out are to help you to do. There are many great Bible reading programs that people have put out. So you're not just opening at random on a morning and thinking, well, what should I read today? But it's systematically taking you through the scriptures, helping you to take in the whole of the law of God. I'd be happy to point you to a few uh, if you want to talk through some of them. I put nine in the church email this week. There, there's an article that points you to nine different reading programs. Some take five minutes a day, some take ten, some take fifteen plus. However much time you can give it will be worthwhile. But this year I want to highlight just two in particular for you. The Read Scripture app, Read Scripture, simple. Uh, It's been put together to help us drink deeply from God's Word. Every day it gives you three chapters of the Bible and one psalm to read. And on many days it gives you a video to watch to help you understand the context or one of the main themes of the reading. And... um, It's really simple. It's easy to follow. It's all in the app. You open it up every day. You read through. It ticks it off for you. It's not flashy. It's not complex. I've seen more people get through the whole of the Bible in a year with that, with the help of that app than any other program. So the the first time people have read through the scriptures, that has been a great help for them. The Read Scripture app. It'll be helpful for you. If you've never done it before, it's easy to follow. But maybe you have used that option in the past, or uh, maybe you have been a daily Bible reader for some time, and and you don't want a phone or a video or anything to distract. Well, that is why I've given you these yellow papers. It is the McShane Bible reading plan. It gives you four readings per day. Originally, it was designed that the first two readings of the day were for family devotions. So you sit down, you read it with the kids or with the spouse or with a friend or a housemate. And then the last two readings were for private devotions, something that you meditate on. Maybe two in the morning, two in the evening, maybe all four at once, whatever you think that you might be able to manage. But four readings, if you do the four readings, you will read through the whole Old Testament once and the New Testament and the Psalms twice before January 1st of next year, if you follow it every day. If 
you just do the first three readings, you will get through the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament once. So if you can just do three readings, three chapters a day roughly, you will get through the whole of the scriptures. It takes bits from different parts of the scripture, so you don't get bogged down in just a a genealogy, but you have maybe a genealogy uh, for one of the readings, but then you have something from the Gospels or or something else. It keeps you progressing, thinking, okay, well, that one, I'm not sure what I got out of that, but this other reading was really quite helpful. And if you want to do this reading, on the back I've put um, two QR codes with some helps. There's an audio podcast that will, if you subscribe to it, come into your phone every day of the readings that you can listen to, the four Bible readings for the day on your commute or whatever. And there's also uh, a daily devotional, if you'd like, if you'd like to make use of it. It will take three to four minutes, and it will talk about one of the readings of the day. Um, That's on those sheets. Now, why do I put this together for you? I'm, I'm not a person that wants to get you hyped up. I just want to point you to what's going to be helpful. Whatever Bible reading plan you choose, I promise that it will bring you more delight in the morning than your phone ever could. More than Facebook, more than Twitter, more than Instagram ever could. And if we do regularly meditate on God's word, what result can we expect Uh, He's like a tree planted in the streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. As we attend to the word of God, we will be like a tree planted by the streams of life-giving water. We will begin to bear more spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We will become uh, more resilient to the heat and to the pressures of life, not being withered by them, but maintaining our vitality in them. And whatever we do will prosper. For a life lived for the Lord is never lived in vain, whether in hardship, in persecution, in uh, whatever circumstances, in sadness. A life lived for the Lord is never lived in vain. Whether in redundancy, in health, in sickness, In life, in death, in every circumstance, the Lord will prosper his people. Believe it? As we put down deep roots into the word of God, there we will find resources for life. How can we be sure? Because we have seen that God has done it in the life of the uniquely righteous man. Though he was tempted, the Lord Jesus Christ was never drawn aside by the wicked and sinful. When the scoffers beat him and and the mockers spat upon him, he remained resolutely focused on fulfilling God's word. And when the heat of crucifixion and death burned hot against him, he didn't wither. What did he say from the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in his death on the cross, he won prosperity when God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name. And we know that all of that 
that was true of him is true of those who are found in him. We know that all that was true of him is found for those who are in him. Because he says, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He was a tree, firmly planted by the stream, and as we put our faith in him, we are grafted on to him. He's the tree. He provides the nourishment, the flourishing, eternal life. Thirdly, the wicked will perish. Or secondly, the wicked will perish. In verse 4, the psalmist abruptly changes his focus from the long and flourishing life of righteousness, of the righteous one, to the short and inconsequential life of the wicked. Verse 4, not so the wicked... They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The psalmist, he took time and and poetry. He he poured in to describing the the tree uh, and the flourishing life. Describing first its placement by the stream and then its fruit and its leaves and finally its prosperity. And here is his description of the wicked. It's abrupt. It's short. One line, not so the wicked, but like chaff, wind scatters. Blown away. Its place remembers it no more. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Those crowds of people who stood by the roadside and beckoned the righteous, come aside, walk with us, stand with us, sit down with us as we reject God. This is their ultimate fate. They stood against God and his Christ, and they will not stand in the judgment. They sat in mocking defiance, but they will not sit in the assembly of the righteous. Collapsed, expelled, blown away. And when we look around at a world full of wickedness, of people and nations living in defiance of God, of persecuting the church, of mocking his people, of scoffing at his commands, how good it is to remember the unbearable lightness of wickedness. Blown away like so much chaff the oppressive rulers of nations who today rule with an iron fist. Those who reject the love of God shown on the cross of Christ, however much they try to lead a weighty life, a life that really counts, whether it's through their own hard work, through their own uh, relationships, through their own creativity, and yet they ignore the one who made them, they will be like a dandelion, scattered with a breath, That's the fate of people who put their roots down into other soils. You know, the seven habits of highly effective people, the the ten principles of business success, the infinite scrolls of Instagram and Facebook, the spurious truths of pop psychology books. And they will not, they cannot sustain your life when the heat of the noonday sun comes. 
How foolish, how inconsequential are the lives of the wicked. For all flesh is like grass. It withers and it's gone. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And he will sustain those who turn to him for all eternity. The Lord knows who are his. This is the final point. The Lord knows who are his. Verse 6. The, notice the, the difference between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Lest we forget and begin to think that it's within our own power to flourish. If I can just keep to this Bible plan, if I can just be here every Sunday, if I can just go to my growth group, then I will flourish. It's how we naturally begin to think. If I do enough, I can bring myself the happiness that I seek. But the psalmist reminds us that it is the Lord who watches over and who knows the way of the righteous. He is the one who will ensure our ultimate happiness and prosperity and flourishing. It's a result of his actions and not our own. Jesus Christ, the uniquely righteous man, he has already secured our happiness on the cross. His righteousness has been given to those who have faith in him. He will watch over all who are his. And in the end, he promises that we will share in his happiness. By meditating on God's word, we aren't earning happiness. We are learning to live in light of the happiness that Christ has secured for us. But the way of the wicked who seek to rule their own fate and blaze their own trails apart from God Well, they are the authors of their own destruction, according to this psalm. Their desire to live apart from the Lord will ultimately be granted. Jesus continues on in John 15. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So, uh, according to the scriptures, two ways to live. Blessing this way perishing over here, which way are you going to go? I was reading this morning in this Bible reading plan from Genesis 1 that God appointed the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky for the keeping of times and seasons and festivals. There's nothing magic about January 1st. And yet if we use it, to turn again to God and to dedicate ourselves again to the Lord God, it will be a tremendously good thing to celebrate this year. So, let's do it. Let's seek the Lord in his word this year and let's see what kind of happiness he brings. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you want us to be happy. You don't want us to be miserable people. You want us to have joy in knowing you and in knowing your purposes for us. Thank you that in a terribly difficult and dark world, that the Lord Jesus Christ brings salvation and light and hope. Please keep our eyes fixed on him this year. Please, would you help us to show discipline 
and to show dedication in seeking you and your word and applying it to our lives and living it out. Please would you help us to make use of uh, whatever will help and to point one another back to you over and over throughout the year when we grow weary, when our resolutions fail, to keep coming back to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.